God does it, it's too ridiculous, and it's like I accomplished my purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I think now I have been with the subject matter I have tried to convey. Now, um, the topic this evening is uh, the concept of self and self in Buddhism. And I purposely use the self in Buddhism because for the most part, I, I believe that when you read Buddhist books, the, the real concept of the more traditional way of talking about Buddhism is the non-self, but the non-self. And that gave me some concern because if there is no self and there is, there is no uh, non-self, then what the heck are we doing in, in your studying Buddhism? Or who is it that doesn't? If indeed there is no self. So, although the uh, translation of non-self is quite accurate, and I want to ever define that. And that is indeed a very literal translation of what is going on in the text. I wonder, oftentimes, whether Siddhartha wanted us to get rid of ourselves. Now, one of the easiest ways is perhaps try to do what the truck driver did the other day on the, on the freeway, only do it with your car this time. And, uh, you know, the chance of you getting out of the car is less than the truck because the truck has a lot of speed and, and the car is much tighter so you might get to it yourself much faster that way than, than you, you would uh, normally with taking your medication or something. You're <laughs> wasting all that time or something. So, uh, I want you to know that um, what I want to say tonight is that I'm not, I hopefully will not end up Defining or contradicting what the text is saying, but perhaps adding a new way of looking at that whole issue of self in Buddhism. And um, if you find that I'm, I'm, you know, way off base, uh, my my also my style uh, in lectures where you can up your hand and stop, you know, <laughs> stop me, and we'll have a little discussion. And we'll go on, or maybe discuss for the rest of the night. Uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, this is the usual style. Now, uh, because uh, I would like to put some uh, content into this, I uh, hope these things work. They usually don't. The word self um, that we see in English books is usually a translation from the Indian tradition of Atman uh, as uh, a word. Now, Atman, we have to understand that Buddhism in India began around 500 years before the Common Era. So, this, I think, is very cool. That's nothing new. At that time in India, we find that the Indian tradition has gone through various phases from the Vedic period through to the Upanishadic period and into the Sutra period, the Sutra period. So we're finding that from a very uh, animistic form of religion, but almost worshipping fire and trees, that this were really some kind of divine being, we're coming into a more philosophical tradition, which is from itself. And in the context, what we are getting now is kind of an intellectual discussion 
about what all of this is about. And at the end of the Sutric period, we get sort of a, a questioning, more so than even the Panasonic period, of what this is all about. And so in the sutras we find um, uh, various kinds of different sutras coming forth in which if we take uh, the Yoga Sutra, for example, as an example of the period that's being represented, then what we're finding is that the religious um, traditions of India is being sort of put into the context of what's going on in society more. Especially with the whole question of Varna, or the cast, cast may not be the correct translation, I may use it, the Varna system, where people are being segregated out into various layers. And as you know, in India, uh, the, the, there's a very strict uh, system of Varna, where we have the Brahmins at the top, Shashya, the Vaishyas, and then the Tujas at the bottom. You know, this is old Hathiya, I'm sure. So we have all of this kind of thing going on. And in the midst of all of this discussion from the philosophical to the sociological, almost, you might say, the transformation is taking place, we get superimposed on this various thinkers, uh, shall I say, or reflectors, I don't know if you use that word, want to reflect on what's going on in the Sufi period, and so we get Mahavira, for example, uh, coming out with the giant system. And then we get Siddhartha coming out with what we call the Buddhist So, both of these great teachers of Mahavira and Siddhartha are, are not giants, nor are they Buddhists at this point. They are speakers of some kind of religious tradition, but at that point we can't say Jainism is there or Buddhism is there. So they are, well, for want of a better way to express it, they are Brahmanic, persons of Brahmanic tradition, and they are people of what we would call Satan. So Siddhartha, at this point, is a Hindu person. And if the historical information we get about Siddhartha to some extent is correct, I don't consider all information talked about Siddhartha in any of the historical texts of Buddhism to be all correct. If we accept some of this stuff to be correct, then it seems reasonable that the caste system or the Varma system was in place and he was considered to be a Kshaitya class. Okay. Now, character class, according to Hindu tradition, is represented, I believe, in the story of the Bhagavad Gita, where Arjuna is supposed to fight and sees across the way his own fellow family members, his cousins and so on. So, Siddhartha, being a Kshaitya, must have had that kind of background in himself too. And as we look across the society, I believe that we must have seen the discrepancies between these groups of people and wondered 
supplies. And at the same time, he probably wondered what this, uh, how can I put it, frustration or the pain that some of these people are going through, the joy and the great uh, recognition some of these people are getting. What comes to all of this? And so he reflected on things like this, and to what extent his uh, life was as the Buddhist historical information is that is sure enough, I'm not sure, but at least he must have been a person of some concern for humanity. And because of this concern, he wanted to investigate more and more about what was going on. And perhaps one of the biggest concerns he had was that why is it if in the Hindu tradition, which he belongs to, was one in which the adherence of the tradition was trying to get back to the highest possible divine state, which is Brahman. Why, in going through that process of many cycles of birth and death from our cycle, why was it that they were unhappy, that they might get this? Because it was known in, in the tradition that you had to go through these samsara cycles to ward off any bad karma. Otherwise, if you had this karma, you wouldn't have been born where you were. So there must have been some concern to him. How does one overcome such frustration? And what he began to realize, I believe, is that within the Hindu or this, this kind of Indian tradition, there was a belief that every individual had something very concrete about that individual, which made that person belong to a certain caste, and as a consequence, had that life to live up. And can you imagine being a sutra or some but he's made a door, say a life, a merchant, or something like this, having to go through many, many lifetimes of recycling of life to somehow get to a higher, higher spiritual plane. That the incentive a person would have to try to get there would be almost nil. There'd be almost uh, giving up, you know. Even if it took only 100 kalpas, <laughs> right? To realize what a kalpa pan, does everybody know what a kalpa pan is like? There's no need to explain kalpa, right? Just, the word a long time doesn't describe it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you are very familiar with the, my, my expression uh, of the developer kalpa. <laughs> And I, I, I tell my class uh, that the culpa is like the rock of the Boston culpa, which isn't any in the literature of it. And this is the culpa where uh, angels sweep over the rock of the Boston every once in 1,000 years, create a, a current of air movement, and when the rock of the Boston finally disappears, it's one small 
many 3,000 small copper. We make a middle copper, we need 3,000 more of those copper to make a large copper. We need 3,000 more of those copper to make a real copper. And then they add to add insult injury, so to speak, <laughs> infinite numbers of 10,000 copper. And when you multiply infinite by 10,000, <laughs> it becomes very large. <laughs> so what chance does anybody have to become a Brahman? Now, if we analyze this whole structure more socialistically, why would Brahman want to do that? You know, if we talk in modern church language, why would a priest want to make sure everybody under him never becomes a priest? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the sociological. My colleague, uh, who is now in New Mexico, uh, <laughs> Richard Hay, has written a paper on karma. I don't know if you read it, sir. Uh, I think you were Bill. Bill, sorry. Uh, have you read that? Uh, no, I don't think no. I have. He's written a paper on karma, which um, in 16 indicates the reason that karma, which in Buddhist text means simply action, good, bad, or neutral. Okay? If the, the Buddhist text, at least in its very basic form, does not put a moral value on this action. Okay? It's simply good things, good things, bad things, bad things, neutral things, good things, good things. Now, when we say it doesn't put, you know, ethical values on things, I've already used ethical terms with passion. But wholesome, unwholesome, healthy, unhealthy, right? Meaning that in the Buddhist context, a healthy action, producing a healthy result, means that you're going to be contented, peaceful. Whereas an unhealthy one, it means that you're going to be obsessive. And a neutral one is one in which neither one of these outcomes may arise. So why would someone, a system like Buddhism, which begins with this kind of explanation of karma, end up with the denial for months and days. Where do we get the concept of denial in the Buddhist tradition? And we get that merely because we have qualified beings or people or selves as being of certain people so if you're a monk, you get two months together, one becomes a leader. Okay? Get a family together, somebody in that unit is involved. Get a society together, somebody in that unit, unit becomes involved. When you naturally and sociologically get the structure of security, you have to have rules make sure you stay off. Okay? And therefore, 
it seems reasonable that even if a monk is older, if a younger age person is a monk longer, right, that longness of being a monk, the period of time, makes him superior to someone older. Of course that would make me, as a monk, more superior than others. And, if you want the society to set this up, then it's like saying you can't be an ordained person say you've got three levels, and so on. But when you look through the Buddhist text, one often wonders why apologists that his denial rules have anything to do with their life. Have you ever watched films? I think this is not, I hope, uh, uh, what do you call it, politically incorrect to speak this way. But in, 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 in Thailand, for example, the monks, you know, they expect the nuns to do everything. It doesn't matter if a nun been older than nun for many, many years. How can you ordain yourself? That doesn't come. You know, women are just low. Why do you get that kind of socialized structure? It's certainly not an expression of loving kindness or compassion or understanding in the sense of understanding and dependence. It seems that the self has reflected upon is seen as some kind of important interest in the tradition. And the Dharma teachers have said that non-self is for So if that's the case, then these poor monks you know, are either not Buddhist or misunderstanding and misrepresenting Now, I don't know if you could say that of the monks in the Buddhist church in America, you know, <laughs> of Buddhism, but reflect, why is this whole area of So, in spite of the fact that Siddhartha began his tradition, from understanding that because human beings have this sociological tendency to punctuate themselves as something very, very important, this punctuation of self caused that person to undergo this Okay? And not only that, once the person began to think of the self as some concrete, non-changing entity, then there was no way in which that person could be shifted from thinking that, because to think so was very comfortable. And you give comfort to human beings, and they're very, very comfortable. You know, we're married, we have girlfriends, we have boyfriends, we have good friends, or whatever. And we're very comfortable that this is the way it should be. Well, in fact, those who don't have 
boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives are really there at all. Now, I'll quote you for a season. <laughs> but it's not hard to say that if you can get rid of all of these attachments, then you will not be so concerned about stuff. Or, or what we might call wrong. So I'd like to do a little bit of, ah, how can I put it? So, if you don't mind. So, awesome. This is, I think, a beautiful stuff. In Tibetan, they say this is stuff. Okay. And people ask me, why do you pronounce that as is a blur and a blur and it's hard to talk about it? Well, I'm not from Lhasa. In Lhasa, I believe they do pronounce it as a How do you spell it? But anyway, Sarag Asman, or Ram, this is also spelled, like uh, Ram is used in South as you. Uh, anyway, when we look at the original, assuming Sanskrit to be the original, <coughs> this word here is closest to that kind of thing. But Tibetan also used, sorry for doing this because I often can't read my, um, I often can't go from Romanized faces to seeing the words in Tibetan. Which is really a translation of Kusala in, in Sanskrit. And I'm saying the these words right now because I hope but Puskala is considered transcendent self too. So when you're reading Buddhist text and you see self in the text, you really don't know if you're reading about Puskala or Asma. Okay? When you read English. And this I want to caution you when you're reading this text. Don't assume that the word you're reading in English refers to a particular term in Sanskrit and Tibetan back. These two terms are very interesting because in order to translate the negative um, okay, so we get no self into Tibetan, they say that many Do you mean infant? 
like there is a cow here? Or do you mean isn't in the sense that there isn't devil in the world? Okay, when you say isn't, what are you talking That there are no cows here isn't? Or that there are no devils in the world isn't? They're quite different because in some sense we could imagine cows being in the world. And right now there isn't. But can you imagine that there are devils in the world and right now there isn't? So, Tibetan, good mind, they said, you can say isn't as a descriptor. Okay? As a descriptor. And they said, they, and Not as a descriptor, but as a real negation of any possible existence. Okay? So, for this age, that's You could look under the pillows, under your bed, wherever. Look up into the sky. You're not going to find it. Because there isn't. It isn't. Right? The events could have said that me isn't. And they do say it. That it's, it's not that I'm talking about. Okay? It's not, it's not talking. So, they chose to translate Anatman this way, that there is nowhere to find Anatman. But if you read some through other Buddhist texts of Tibetan language, they say, Kudala, uh, 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 how can I put it? They speak of the Anatman of the self. Okay? So, we read it with a sense that the self is the self. You know, self, self, self. And then suddenly we get in the same text that we're reading, which, in which the self translates itself, self, self, self. We read Pukkara Anatman. So, now, if we have this translation this as a self, then we have to translate this as no self, right? So we have to translate this no self of self. Right? Because we have Pukkara Anatman coming up in the text. So, I don't want to be wonder, because from the translation, it's very difficult to understand what this kind of Pusala self would be against an awesome self. And I began to analyze the position where gun, how can I translate it, something like bloated? Is that what I'm And that, 
they think you know, that this is somehow related. Imagine the contradiction they have here of Brahman and Bhakti. Okay? It's supposed to say they're not bothered by this kind of stuff. So I tell them, if we saw the self that's in the world as our soul, would you consider this an unchanging permanent substance? Mm-hmm. If we think of Brahman as God, would you think of this as one unchanging substance? Mm-hmm. Would you say they're the same? Uh-huh. I said, well, you just think like me. Right? You people have just criticized the Indian people for not being able to think straight. And yet, when you people think between God and the soul, you have the same way of thinking. Furthermore, is it correct, because I'm not a Christian, but I ask the question, is it correct that a Christian life is to die, for the purpose of dying, to be born into God's kingdom? Does it mean then that when a person dies and was a good Christian, that they will become into the kingdom of God? They will get to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Is this what people, Christians, live for? Mm-hmm. Then, I ask, what's all the crime? You should be out dancing. They got that, no? I'm so back here, but that person got there is now one with God. Okay? This is what we live for. All our lives we've been doing good things to get there, right? So why not get up and dance? That's what I was crying about. And the students say, no, you know, it's kind of fun. That's why it's about fun. I don't think you're supposed to be doing that. You know, you Buddhists might think that, but you're not supposed to be doing that. Right. So, what I'm trying to point out here is that what we consider to be contradictions in world religions of others, if you go closely to your own, you find the same contradiction. But anyway, so the self is here, and as I have kind of pointed out, the Tibetans have used two possible languages to express that. The Chinese came out with the word red. Okay? One. For the Asana. The word red incorporates both of these meanings. Okay? It incorporates a sense of person, and also incorporates the first of soulmate. I think. Is it okay? I'm not a Japanese officer. So it seems that, or I'm not a phenologist, it seems that the Chinese had it right in this sense that they meant both the personal personality and the actual entity. Now, 
they had it also right by using uh, this, uh, <laughs> the uh, Chinese character Wo. Is it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's Chinese pronunciation. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, this, this tiny character in this universe, they have produced two existential words, or what they call existential words, as existence and non-existence. So when they saw Anatman in the Sanskrit text by Shonkar, he translated this word as Ure. Uh, So, why don't you do that? He is saying there is something in here. Because uh, I think the Chinese is Sai, or something like this, to express presence. Okay? And Yo, they express it. There is. So, the Chinese understood the negation of offering not exist. Just like the Tibetans understood it as not exist. This brings me to the title, Non-Self. If indeed Asman is referring to the self in some sense of Sujala or personality, then maybe Atman should be translated south of that continent. But we have to always go back to the Indian tradition and understand that Atman is a word used in context to Brahma. And what Siddhartha is negating in his expression of non-self is not the self as we are here today. So we don't have to make the mistake of one of the Hindu ashram leaders who happened to have a Buddhist at the ashram that week. And every day at lunchtime or dinner time, everybody in the ashram gathered around the table, the Buddhist had down, everybody got food and the Buddhist didn't. <laughs> And so the Buddhists after about three days, you know, even tolerance, patience, <coughs> all the things that we Buddhists have, run out. <laughs> right? And so the Buddhists said to the Ashramini, how come I'm not dead? <laughs> and the answer was, because you're not here. <laughs> right? You Buddhists believe you're not here. Now, that kind of concept of self is even present in Buddhism. And somehow this book gets rid of itself. But you're supposed to get rid of, of course, the Siddhartha speaking of Karnatma, I believe, is this biased belief or opinionated view that you are permanent and unseen.
I believe that's what this word Atman meant, Anatman meant He didn't tell you to go commit suicide and jump in the lake and get rid of yourself, but rather to come to the realization that what you think is the self, or self, kind of a personality thing, is in a tax of series of inflation and depression. And that all the inflation and depression is going on all the time, there's really nothing to it. Right? There's no Atma behind it. There's no eternal principle behind things. Because if there were the eternal principle, then certainly there could be no change. Whatever is eternal doesn't change. And if the self is eternal and unchanging, then we would not undergo birth, life, and death. Nor would we have happiness and sadness. Because once you are one of them, you won't change. So, the normal passage of existence, which is the inflation, deflation process, goes on, so long as we are alive. But, one day, it will come to an end, because since that inflation must become depression, depression must become inflation, change in space. What was does no no longer, so God no longer exists or continues to exist. In the same way, the human being will die eventually. And when one dies, there is nothing that's going to stick around Because what you thought was like has nothing to do with Now that's a very sobering thought. Take it seriously. And in Buddhism, it seems that the Buddhists must take it seriously. Now, as you know, as time went on in Buddhist history, things don't have happened. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Buddhist services and so on Now, I want to be clear on this. As an academic, I present this to you. Okay? As a believer, I may have to change my soul and story a bit. Because, you know, and it's it just as a ministry, something happens that shifting you. And that's where we get into all kinds of problems of Buddhist tradition. If we want to keep Buddhism as Siddhartha, understood, and therefore became an enlightened being. Then there's no need for politics, sociology, or anything. But then, but as it turns, because Buddhism became an institutionalized entity, and in becoming that, it started to have its own idiosyncrasy. We end up with what we have as Buddhism. Now, I don't know if I dare go on on this then, but I shall, because this is academic, okay? I say to my students, please become critical, please reflect. What do you think? 
But you don't have to make it on such a high plane. You take Chinese Buddhism, you take Japanese Buddhism. And they have, you know, various kinds of services. So that the souls of these dead people will finally get to the right place. Okay? But then, that criticism of my discourse from the Lama, I use that because, you know, uh, people understand it using If you, if you read, read them this way, and this is purely academic, <laughs> if you read them from an academical point of view, it seems that reincarnation is not a possible theory of Buddhism. And people say, but it says in the book. I agree. It says in the book. We even have the dead book of the dead, where we walk the person through for 49 days. Okay? We have all of these texts. We have the same structure in Sino Japanese Buddhism. Can't deny it. One of the reasons why the Buddhist church of America is here because people keep dying and they want 49 days services. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, somehow that doesn't bring us down. So either the Buddhist Christians of America will take on them because you know, they're coming. Uh, either the Buddhist Christians of America has to concede to the fact that suffering is wrong and the Buddhism that we need to have is the kind that Hindu. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to speak to that, where we have a soul, thoughts, memories, go on and on and on, and one day will be released. Or, and therefore Siddhartha was totally wrong, or we're going to have to say Siddhartha was correct, we're going to start thinking different. Now, I'm not going to say which way these politicians in America should go, one way or the other. Academically, I have the problem of taking that day to So they'll find a way, I'm sure, to handle this, even academically. Because that's what Buddhist history, Buddhist history has been. Always a way to figure out that what the academic tells them to somehow bring it back into the social world. So I want to point out that this Atman that Siddhartha, at least one of the top of us, but certainly not you and I, as well as the But, in, in, in spite of the fact that we may, you know, become bloated and fierce and bloated and fierce constantly, in spite of that fact, the self, as you and I know, is here. Now, by the way, Without that possibility of some being present, non-sonic presence, being present, without some kind of being present, but if you analyze what that really means, it means I, my body, is here, and there is no being present, non-sonic that excludes my Right? 
There's no talking about being that is not me with any significance. There's no, no significance about talking about somebody else's being that is sensitive and totally observed. But when we go on talk about being, we want to talk about, in my case, me, in your case, hopefully you. That's the only place, that is the only point where being can take place. And in order to understand what Siddhartha gained in his enlightenment of understanding Sama, this me, this person, has to somehow become a worthy vessel in some sense. Okay? Of being able to reflect upon <laughs> this vessel in a correct, honest way. Which means to understand that after all, I am nothing new. From that perspective, I am going to jump to the other term this. We as living entities are systems. Okay? We're not concrete beings in anything, we are a system. A system always takes some kind of bodily form or some kind of manifested form, but we are a system. The system, according to your term, consists of our being here. And this being present is always a psychological being. It is a biological being by all means, but it is also a psychological being. By psychological being, I don't mean necessarily a thinking discursive of a psychological. For example, have you ever noticed that if you plant a seed in the ground, try it, and keep watering over here about a foot away, okay? And maybe give it enough water just to keep it up. The roots will come out this way to the water. And at the same time, of course, the sprouts will come up. Because I said, how do you do to do that? Okay? That's what I mean by psychological. It's not unusual for plants to send their root system up across the road, under the pavement, over to near the yard to get water. And if you dig on the other side, there are no roots. Right? You take an orange. Get an orange. How many emeralds are you getting? And then ask the devil, there are ten. And you say, ah. So we kill the orange, and there are ten. Oh, that was luck. Try another. Take another one, examine it, and it says, there are problems. And you open it up, and there are problems. How do you know? Well, there's nothing mystical or magical about this. All you have to know is how a being survives. Because, what is an orange? 
This, this is a skin is the sense of contact. This is how we have these six senses. Guys, see how the form. 
And it's interesting, we have two words of form. Indians only have one form, word, Whatever forms the color. Bring me a color that forms. Or bring a color without form. Can't do it. So, how ready do you deceiving yourself to be Here, we have sound. Actually, we have waves. Okay? Because ears are the concept. It's really one of these things. Concept. No, I'll also smell, but I don't mean smell. I think it's conscious that. Mouth, taste, that's the honey, taste. And the skin touches. And the mind is permanent. Idea. Is there a So the eyes see color forms. How do you get eyes in the mind? So the nose smells fragrant. How do you get eyes in your mind? When the mouth tastes something, how do you get eyes in your mind? So there are first few with six senses you can get a concept of you. Have nothing to do with desire. How do you get desire? 
I guess there are, for example, people who are born really heavily disabled. No sight, maybe he or he can smell, but not able to hear, not able to speak. I just wonder how they get the sense of self. That's right. Huh? What they have a very strong sense of self. Even though so they're disabled. Those people do. Yeah. Right? How? Oh. Has it ever, ever occurred to you that this is a problem? Then the biggest thing in Buddhism is overcome the self or attachment to the self? But why, why would Buddhism talk about attachment or attachment to self if you can't even get this from an attachment? So you mean this heavily disabled sense of self is closer to atman? No, no, I don't mean that. Okay. It's the, the concept of self that this person would somehow um, Manas 
was a doing with the body as its object. Okay? What we might call in terms of ordinary language, self, a reflection on the self by self. But there's no concept of self yet. The eighth one is called Avaya Vijnana. And there's various translations we can have for this. One of which is uh, storehouse consciousness, which is very interesting. Uh, the other is something like the foundation of all that is possible. But the easiest one to understand for ordinary people, I think, is the body as consciousness. The whole body as a consciousness. So we don't get into the problem anymore of having to separate the body and mind. The body as an organism is a conscious being. And I don't mean being in the sense of some substantive thought, but being hyphen ing. So this body in which all of this these functions take place becomes the final object of the basis for thinking of ourselves. Because we have no organ that would take that body as its object. And that body as its object could not be possible without a body present. You understand? If you are not here, there's no use talking about your body. If you're not existing. So this Alayavijana, which has been carefully thrown out consciousness and so on, it's really my body. Or I, I use the word my idea to indicate that it's not somebody else's body. And once you get into the my body situation, then for the first time you have what Siddhartha has been concerned with. Who am I? Without this body, that question is a ridiculous question. Now, flip to the religious question. Then one realizes the preciousness of body in order to become black. Right? Because without this, there's no question. When one realizes the preciousness of body with respect to his own process of becoming right, then one can quickly realize that there cannot be a body without all other bodies. You follow me? In English or somewhere they talk about a person is not an island unto oneself. You have to be in the context of other bodies to be a body. That's the only way we can be a body. 
So then you can begin to realize that your body or your being present or your your state of being is totally right on all other possible things in the universe. And there you start getting the dimension of the enlightenment that our people. That although he was a filling up depression, filling up the of nothing. He wouldn't have even realized that without being a body or being present. And so the preciousness of human existence comes to the fore if you're interested in life. If you're not interested in life, it doesn't matter. But if you are interested in life, becoming in life, becoming aware, then you must become interested in your presence. And once you become interested in your presence, the Buddhist idea is you will consider it a very effective and, and a rare occasion to have come into the world of the human being in whatever form you are in. And once you start, you know, going through that, and you take that direction, that direction, but simply speaking, what we are talking about is Siddhartha's understanding of interdependency as somehow the foundation for all that there is. And this interdependency makes him realize that the fact that he was a human being was no simple matter. And also, that because he was in, he had the attachment which God kept getting in place. He knew the logic, shall I say, of overcoming attachment to overcome frustration. He understood that clearly. And perhaps that is the reason for us having in text a term called Nirvana and Parim that although Siddhartha in becoming enlightened overcame many of the afflicting emotions and uh, hindrances that got in his way, he could not overcome his attachment to God. And when he died, he was able to no longer become attached. And so he is in a complete so maybe that's why we have terms like Nirvana and Nirvana. But anyway, that's my discussion on what I think uh, self is. So the term nothing is different than distinction. So what I'm saying is real fast.
explain itself beyond the practice, it became and began to develop in the school of God. So you get Vinaga and other people, and then even Trevor Kissy, and so it's trying to rationalize or think through Nagarjuna's thinking, develop, becomes the foundation of the Christ. And after about the 8th century, the 9th century, uh, this Buddhist logic moves over to Tibet. And in India, we find basically Buddhism totally dead. It's more like museum. So once you start rationalizing and thinking logically about a practice, practice, you can think it through and, and show the logic of it all. And then it's so Buddhism, to be a Buddhist and to try to understand the Buddhist enlightenment requires practice. Because without it, you can't have it without it. Or it must become head heavy exercise. You lose the consensus of the head. And he says that we have to overcome the darkness to clear our frustration. We can't do that once we have to do it. Yeah. Uh, what you? There's been articles written about the kinds of people that don't do well and like this retreat. Once they understood that, there was no more problem. 
And it was amazing how the room sort of literally lit up. And that was a key. And, you know, if you ask me how it was done, I can only say everybody in the group wants to finally realize they're interrelated. Okay? Just one second. I hope you Will you say that rebirth is not relevant in this? I mean, or that in Buddha did not. I don't know what to do. But if he talks enlightenment to me to become free of obstruction, mm-hmm. and that takes obstruction, or how we might call it, that's mere concrete Then to believe in me, honey, is a disaster. Okay? Uh, Does that answer your question? Join me in taking this